You are listening to The Hemp Startup Journey. My name is Jason De Los Santos, co-founder of Spectrum Labs, a hemp extraction facility in Asheville, North Carolina. I'm sitting down with hemp entrepreneurs, scientists, and politicians willing to share their perspectives, lessons learned, and how we can make an impact on the hemp and cannabis industry for everyone. Bill, welcome to The Hemp Startup Journey. How are you today? Cool. Great. Thank you for having me, Jason. I appreciate you having me out. Yeah, absolutely. So um, since we last spoke, uh, maybe a month ago or so, you had some some kind of big news. Anything you want to share with the world? Well, now that we finally have a little bit of resolve with the final rule versus the interim final rule, it's now going to take effect um, nationwide March 22nd this year. Now that we have a new secretary put back into place, Congress has pushed this forward. President Biden has said that there's not going to be any more um, pushback on this. So we now have at least some final ruling that's coming out for all of our hemp growers and stuff, which is is good news. We still didn't cover everything we needed to, but it's good news to at least know we have some breathing room with that, um, with a date that says, okay, this is our solid end result plan versus it being fluid like it's been for a couple of years now. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I'm, I'm going to rib on you here for, for a second, Bill, because I was asking, actually asking about your baby. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to send this clip to your wife and be like, here's how dedicated he is to his job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm baby tired. So, yes, we had uh, my wife gave birth to uh, our little girl um, on the 25th last month. So she is in the back resting as much as she can rest the baby goes from sleeping to the three hours period of time to cluster feeding i believe there was one day that she had it annotated that um saley is her name saley elizabeth Mm -hmm. um fed 20 times one day i was like daddy's girl she just like daddy (laughs) (laughs) awesome well congratulations thank you um and uh, I know in, in our previous conversation, you talked about kids a lot. So I'd like to get your perspective here in a few minutes about just, you know, now that you, you have a, a child and just how that uh, maybe reflects your perspective on this whole hemp and cannabis. Um, but uh, before we get to that, if you're, I'd like to start here, if you're at a gathering or party and, you know, you're around a few people that you haven't met and uh, you meet, shake hands or, or elbow bump or fist bump, whatever we're, we're doing nowadays, uh, somebody asks you, hey, Bill, nice to meet you. What do you do? How do you answer that? Well, it's kind of complex. One, I tell them first, well, I'm a retired cop um, from Metro Nashville, Tennessee Police Department, but I'm still commissioned as a law enforcement officer here in North Carolina. And they kind of go, but retired, but still working here. And I'm like, yeah, but I have, that's on the side. I, I still have a full-time job where I work for the attorney general's office for the um, Department of Justice. And I'm assigned to the Justice Academy. And I teach all the gangs and narcotics programs through the Department of Justice that come down, that go out to the more than 35,000 plus law enforcement officers in the state of North Carolina. 35,000? 35,000 plus, a little over 35,000 cops in the state of North Carolina. Jeez, wow, that's that's amazing. Um, so then how did you, and because you're, like, should I say, full-time in the hemp industry of sorts? Like, is that a fair assessment? Or, or, no, or, I've taken or, a general interest in this. Um, out of the time that I spent with Metro Nashville Police Department, most of my time I spent working gangs and narcotics, 
meaning I was out doing undercover drug buys, working with confidential informants, working in organizational cases. Um, even the time that I spent as a gang detective, my full main focus was drugs and controlled substance cases that had a gang nexus and stuff. Hmm. Never had much, uh, I don't want to say, marijuana wasn't my focus of my investigations. It was more things like crack, cocaine, meth. Now we're dealing with opiates and opioids, um, the heroin, fentanyl type issues. Um, but I had a run in in Nashville where we ended up getting a call basically on a Saturday from a storage unit. Storage unit said there's a strong odor of marijuana coming from these three large units. We come out, run a dog on it. We didn't even have to run the dog on it. I mean, you could smell it outside. Um, so it's Saturday. Nobody's there. We write a search warrant for the storage units, essentially. Um, we start loading all of what we knew at the time to be marijuana in the box truck. And we're taking it to the property room. And there's hundreds and hundreds of pounds of this. Um, <clears throat> what, what did you think in your mind? What, what, what did you say? Oh, that's what? My first thought was, who could be this dumb? Why, why do you have this much weed drying in a storage unit that has no air filtration systems, no nothing going in here? To me, it was just off. I was like, <clears throat> somebody's either got so much weed that they just need to dump this and store this somewhere, or there, there's some other outlying factor that I just, I couldn't figure out. Well, we figured it out while we was en route to the property room because my sergeant sitting in the vehicle next to me, <clears throat> he gets a phone call from the chief of police, okay? First of all, if the chief of police's cell phone is calling you on a Saturday, okay, that should be enough to go, what did you do? <laughs> what did you do? No, no, no. What did you do? Um, he asked us where we're at. We're telling him we're en route to the property room. He tells us, stop. Pull over on the side of the road. He said, you're about to get a phone call in about two minutes. Answer that phone. And I was, Sergeant hung up. And he says, pull over. And I was like, all right, let me get over here. He goes, no, pull over now. We're on the interstate, okay, oh, wow. which is already dangerous enough. Yeah. Um, we pull over and my sergeant gets a phone call and it's from the vice governor of the state of Tennessee asking us if we were just at a storage unit and several of the questions we were like, yes, we were. And I thought, is this an eternal affair set up? I mean, we did nothing wrong. I mean, I can't get what's going on. My sergeant finally hangs up the phone and he goes, we need to turn around and take this stuff back to the storage unit. And I was like, what am I missing here, man? <laughs> he goes, that's the vice governor that was on the phone. The stuff we have in the back is hemp. And I was like, huh? No, it ain't. He goes, the owner of the hemp is going to meet us there at the storage unit. He has a letter that's personally signed by him. Do what I said. And I went, okay. To me, that was alarming because that was a lot. I mean, I, it was... How many it pounds was, do you think, or how many bags? It was it was almost a thousand pounds. Wow. Roughly. And it was all the bad. The, the crazy thing was, it was still on stems. Um, 
I, I can't even say if it if it was even in a drying phase. Everything was stuffed in heavy duty trash bags. Do you, did you know what hemp was back then? No. See, that was the thing. My only observation, my only knowledge of hemp was like a hemp hacky sack <laughs> or a hemp t-shirt or something right. like that. You know? And I thought, all right, I don't get this. So mm-hmm. we get to the location. The guy shows us letter. Um, unbeknownst to us, that's the first time we learned about the 2014 Industrial Hemp Pilot Program. Mm. That was the first time I learned about hemp. And that was almost a hard lesson to learn, too. Um, this guy was the second licensed grower in the state of Tennessee. This program had been in place for about seven weeks mm-hmm. and already had a law enforcement intercept, meaning us at the storage unit with almost a thousand pounds of this. To me, two worlds were about to collide and it was dangerous. <clears throat> I thought, okay. I don't get, this looks like weed, this smells like weed, why are we classifying this as hemp? So I had to do a lot more research into it. And I found it very, when I say interesting, extremely interesting, um, because we started looking at it and going, how does this not get you high then? I don't get it. That's when I started learning about cannabis sativa L with less than 0.3% of THC concentration, more specifically Delta 9 tetrahydrocannabinol. And I sat down and I was like, Man, this could be problematic if we go to places like court or something like that. Or what if somebody's driving down the road with this and they're stopped on a traffic stop, they're involved in a car crash, your vehicle breaks down, and law enforcement pulls up behind you to provide you assistance on the interstate or something like this. Um, It was going to run into a problem. Then the second iteration that I saw with this, ironically, about seven weeks later, I get a phone call, <clears throat> can't make this up. Hey, you need to go to the chief's office. By the way, don't go up there wearing shorts, okay? I'm a narcotics guy, so I'm running around in shorts all the time, okay? Um, I was like, I looked at my boss and I said, what did I do? He goes, I don't know, what did you do? I just got a phone call saying go up to the chief's office. And I was like, oh my God, this this is like twice in two, two months period of time. Um, I walk in there and there's basically a district attorney sitting in there and we're getting assigned to Vanderbilt University and we're told we're going to observe some clinical trials going on with Epidiolex. That's all I was told. And I was like, what? Okay. I'm a narcotics guy. Why am I going to Vanderbilt University? And first thing I thought was, oh, wait, hold on. It's always 68 to 72 degrees inside there. It doesn't <laughs> rain in there. There's no folks that I have to arrest or anything. I oh, was the like, job perk. Yes. Oh yes. I'm perfect. I'm in there. Um, man, my eyes got wide open. Um, the first introduction trial that I was watching was a child. Uh, I still can't pronounce it. Travance something. Oh, Travets. Yes. Okay. This boy was, I think, six and a half, and he had anywhere from 27 to like 31 seizures a day. Mm-hmm. And these seizures weren't small seizures, okay? I'm used to seeing some small seizures. I grew up, my sister was epileptic. So I would see about once, twice a month, her going to 
a seizure that would last 30 seconds to about a minute. Mm. This child's life was totally controlled by these seizures because these seizures would last four, five, eight, 10, 12 plus minutes. And I oh, thought, gosh. oh my God, That's man. Horrible. And I'm sitting there in this controlled setting and I'm watching this child go through these seizures and doctors are sitting back watching this. And I'm like, can somebody not do something about this? But that's part of the clinical trial. It's kind of mm -hmm. like a crawl, walk, run. So I learned Sorry. a lot. But the end result was once this child started getting epidiolex administered to him, I watched this kid's seizures go from like five, seven, eight, ten minutes down to like a minute, minute and a half, two minutes. I watched him go from 20 plus seizures a day down to like two. Wow. And I thought, I mean, I'm a combat veteran. I've seen, I've pulled friends, dead bodies out of aircraft during shoot downs. I've seen some serious stuff and it's kind of hard to break this guy. Dude, that broke me. Yeah. It, I was like in tears. I was happy. I was like, this is beautiful. Yeah. But then where was this coming from, the epidiolex? And I sat down and thought, here we go. This is spinning back to the hemp thing because this is a form of, you know, CBD derived from hemp, cannabis, Steve, all this stuff, the little bit different THC concentration. And I thought, all right, the next part of the study <clears throat> went to a lady with Parkinson's disease. The best way to describe her was it looked like she had been caught on fire from like this region mm. of her body. <clears throat> and that was where she had loved coffee so much and had Parkinson's so bad when she would pick up her drink, essentially she would oh, just burn herself. So it was a chemical burn from the coffee, wow. but she couldn't feel it from all the scar tissue and stuff like that. She could no longer feel it. Hmm. Um, throughout the end of the study, <laughs> I watched Miss Maggie be able to pick up a cup of coffee. I could see a very, very little rotation in her hands and occasionally you'd see this. She'd be able to drink a cup of coffee, not spilling a drop. And I thought, this is beautiful. This is, this is perfect. <clears throat> but then I was like, how do we put this into place and how do people effectively use this and how do we get this knowledge out here to this new product? <clears throat> because there's still a lot of, I want to say, um, bad publicity and, and I'm not knocking anybody in the police realm, but to us, we think hemp, our automatic assumption is, okay, well, yeah, that's just somebody who's just going to try to disguise marijuana and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And in some cases, that is true, but that's a small percentage. Yeah. On the flip side, you look at all the farmers and stuff like that. Oh, my God. This is another our farming community that has been crushed um, economically has a new way and a new avenue. Our citizens have a new commodity. And that's what's important, too, for officers to realize this is no longer a controlled substance. This was been, has been removed from the Federal Controlled Substance Act, and this is now a commodity. It's a unique commodity in the fact that, one, you have to have a license to grow it. That's it. But two, it looks like weed. It smells like weed. Or what I'm going to train people to say, 
what I previously knew to be marijuana, because now we have to look at it a total different way. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting because when you were observing the trials, how long have you had you been a police officer at that point? Do you remember? Twelve years. Twelve years. So, uh, you know, for twelve years and for however long before that, like in your mind, you were thinking I'm a law abiding citizen and, you know, like I'm, I'm enforcing laws, right? And like, this is something big, especially if you worked in narcotics and even though you weren't necessarily in uh, sort of like cannabis related incidents, but like that, that was probably part of your your uh, perception and, and your way of protecting citizens, right? Like, oh, if there's marijuana, like, you know, we have to seize it or arrest it or whatever. Uh, so did you, even though you saw those two people and probably more going through those trials, did your mind try to fight it? Like, this can't be real or, or just just curious if if you were quick to accept it or if your history still had a hard time with it. I, I was quick to accept it. What I had to wrestle in my head was, okay, this is derived from hemp. This hemp is eventually via, we've seen the national push for legalization. This hemp is going to eventually hit the markets. How do we make this determination? Mm -hmm. Um, that was the biggest thing I had to wrestle in my head because I've seen enough, I guess you could say death and carnage on the flip side with the opiate and heroin and fentanyl kind of stuff. And to me, it was a no brainer alternative. Mm. Um, and, and I'm telling you, I've seen it with cops. I've seen it with veterans being a former um, veteran myself. I've seen it on both sides and it, and it, sucks um and there's got to be a better alternative there has to be something out there you know most of these people some of them were already prone to addiction okay I, I do have to clarify that and i do acknowledge that there's some people that no matter what they're just going to take that addictive path but there's some people who have been legitimately hurt at work on the job whatever it is <clears throat> um and the first thing that gets prescribed to them is hydrocodone, oxycodone, some kind of situation like that. And now all of a sudden they're addicted. Yeah. To me, that becomes a, an issue. Um, that's a hard issue to, to wrestle with. There's gotta be an alternative to that because by the time you realize you're addicted or in your head, you can wrestle it and actually say to yourself, yes, I am addicted. It's too late. You're already in that cycle. And we see nationwide um, that this is growing every day. I, I've seen it. When I want to say I've seen it to light, I prosecuted, successfully made the first successful second degree overdose death case in the state of Tennessee. Myself and Mike Hotz, who was a partner of mine, worked with me um, responding to an overdose situation where we had been inundated with folks like 20 to 30 showing up in a weekend's period of time at a hospital or ambulance was transporting them and stuff and getting them, you know, reviving them with Narcan. There, there's, there's a field test right there. If somebody's out, they're in respiratory duress, I hit them with Narcan, two milligrams, four milligrams, I hit them with three doses and all of a sudden, about a minute and a half later, they're sitting up eating tacos. It's an opiate overdose, okay? Mm -hmm. um, so to me, it was just a, a, how do we look at it? How do we bring this into light as, is this an alternative from somebody who saw my sister going through seizures 
um, seeing that child going through seizures, seeing that child not, I don't want to say totally getting life back because there was a lot of damage done, mm-hmm. but also seeing Maggie being able to drink a cup of coffee that to most people, they don't realize that just being able to pick up a cup of coffee and drink it, you could take that for granted. I watched sure. this person who couldn't even do that. Yeah. Um, so to me, it was, how do we do this and do this safely? How do we protect folks and how do we educate the law enforcement realm out there? Because as I started digging into it too, what I found nationally was law enforcement did not know about it. Sure. There was, there was too much stigmatism. There were to be too many chiefs, too many bosses sitting back going, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to deal with it. We're not even going to discuss it. And I was like, okay, you know, look at grandma in Disney world. Remember when grandma yeah. arrested <laughs> Disney world? Um, I, I'm not bagging on the officer. The officer was doing what he had been trained to do mm-hmm. at the time. CBD had only been known to be derived from actual marijuana with more than 0.3% THC concentration. Um, he was doing everything according to his policy. I'm not saying I would have arrested great grandma <laughs> at Disney World. I may have been like, you go have to take that back to the car. You have to dump that in the trash can. I'm, sure. I'm sorry. And I'm just going to tell you straight up. Um, but the end result for that is that's traumatic because she gets locked up. This is a family vacation. Nothing Disney related for a vacation is cheap either. Let, let me point that. If you've ever been there, oh yeah, look, you're spending half your life savings for like a three day just to go through the front door hopper pass, you know. <laughs> um, so, but the other part of this is that is now an eighteen million dollar lawsuit. Holy cow! The officers involved in it, and because Disney World obviously has deep pockets, they're involved in it. Um, I'm not a legal person, you know, I'm not even, I'm, I'm even off. I'm not even representing my, my employer, but I can say there's going to be a payout on that one, you know, and and what's important to that grandma lives here in North Carolina. So to me, this doesn't, this isn't just a news blip from, Oh, look, Florida. Oh, look, Texas. Oh, look, Michigan. This has already happened within our state. Um, so to me, I've taken it personal. Um, I've tried to get as educated as I could on it. Um, even when I trained the cops that come through my 40 hour basic narcotics investigator course, I take them out to a hemp farm. I let them talk to the farmers. I let them see the plant. I let them touch the plant. I let them smell the plant. I let them when we drive down there, I will purposefully stop about a half a mile away and I'll roll the windows down and just sit there for a minute. And I'm like, take that in folks. And they sit down and they're like, are we close? And I'm like, we're a half a mile away. And they're like, what? Because some folks haven't seen even an elaborate grow operation. Um, you know, most cops, they'll see an ounce if they catch a pound that's huge you know where i worked out i work more of the higher end i want to say as i used to put higher end clientele um i worked mostly either 
something working into a wiretap case or something that a, had a cartel signature involved in it. Mm -hmm. um, so I, the person that had an eight ball, a gram on the street, I wasn't concerned with it. You know, I've watched more dudes cry. It, true story. Stop the dude doing operation safer streets. Like the dude was parked in front of me at a red light and it was so funny. Light just turned red. I'm sitting there in the vehicle and all of a sudden I see a lighter light up and it kind of goes, <laughs> and then the light goes out. And I was like, well, that was a long drag of a cigarette. And I'm just sitting there kind of giggling, blows the smoke out. I roll my window down and I'm like, ah, there it is. <laughs> I watch him hit it again, light the lighter and you watch the car go like the light go like this and down again. <laughs> I watched him hit it three times. I was sitting there going, man, come on, this dude's on the roadway. I really don't care about weed, but this dude's on the roadway right now and stuff mm -hmm. like this area of town. Nashville doesn't matter if it's three o'clock in the morning. You're still running in traffic. There is just a growing, bustling city. You know, to me, it was like I was just going to do a traffic stop and say, hey, look, man, go home with that. Don't, mm -hmm. don't do it on the road. Dude had like an ounce, literally. And I looked at him. He goes, you going to take me to jail? And I was like, no. I said, but uh, he goes, you could take my weed? And I was like, no. He goes, well, I appreciate it. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. You, you don't get to keep the weed. I said, just pour it out and start stomping on it. He was like, he was in shock. And I was like, <laughs> he goes, I would rather you take that. And I was like, I'd rather not. Yeah, right. It'll take me 30 minutes to do the paperwork. I literally watch this dude bust a tear in front of me. He goes, man, you're just cool, but this, this hurts. And I was like, I'm sorry. Just... <laughs> Shouldn't have been doing that on the road. <laughs> it was hilarious, but I was like, dude, I'm not telling you how to do this. Stay at home. Stay off the road, man. Come on. Mm. You know, <laughs> be safe. Nobody's in your business at your house and everything. You know. Yeah, I wonder how that, that sentiment is changing, um, you know, going from um, as soon as a, an officer or someone in the judicial system would see, you know, something that looked or smelled like marijuana. It's like, hey, like, let's pounce on it. This is illegal. Let's take it off the streets to now I have some friends that the sentiment seems to be as long as you're not carrying a suitcase full of weed, like, you know, you're not acting like an idiot. Just kind of like how you're saying, just, just go home. Right. Uh, do, you, do you feel like that's prevalent nowadays or is it still like the majority of the police force is still like it is. It is because there's a lot of the judicial system is packed in them. Um, it, it truly is. There's just no way to put it. There's bigger fish to fry out there than there is to deal with weed. It, it's one thing if you got an ounce, if you got a pound, yeah, okay, come on, man. I, I know you ain't stocking up for the next three months and everything like that. You got 15, 20, 100 plus pounds, 200 pounds, because this is my largest seizure has been uh, a little over 2,000 pounds in a tractor trailer that had direct connects south of the border mm. within cartels. Um, so it's out there, and I used to do a lot of parcel interdiction also that meant i looked at boxes coming in through ups fedex dhl postal mm. um I, to tell you how much weed is moving is just ridiculous last time i did some parcel interdiction 
myself and another partner were in the bay for 11 minutes. No, 13 minutes, sorry, 13 minutes. We walked around, we didn't even look at the belts. We just looked at boxes. I didn't even have to maneuver any of the boxes. We could just see boxes sitting around in the carts getting shuffled around. We had already had 11 boxes that I could look at and go, yeah, that's that's gonna have dope in it. Hmm. Dog alerted to all 11 boxes. And I was like, yes, most of it was weed, stuff like that. But the other thing was in some of this loads of weed was also some meth. Another mm-hmm. one had some counterfeit hydrocodone pills that actually turned out to be fentanyl, which could have been an issue. Um, so, yeah, the, the a lot of district attorney's offices are taking an approach of, I'm not saying just let it go, but unless he can get, if you can get your arm around it, man, <laughs> let, let it go, yeah. you know, and I'm, I, I'm not representing anybody when I say this. It's just, this is my opinion. You see, nationally, this is getting decriminalized. Um, It's going to take the federal side to take it off that scheduling to actually make this work, okay? Look at all the states that we have that marijuana is legalized in, whether medical, recreational, or just one. But why is it California still produces approximately 90% of all the marijuana in the United States. Hmm. There's still a room, a lot of room for black market. If you look at places out there like Humboldt County, the Triangle, I mean, that's, that's huge. That place has been huge for weed. God, for 40 years now. Really? Okay. I talked to a dude yesterday who literally flat out yesterday was a weed grower in Humboldt County. He has been arrested here, not here, but in another state. We were able to sit down and talk yesterday about marijuana and where it's going and his experience with it. And as he put it, and this is the same thing I saw on the law enforcement end, um, the cartels are tapping in to that region. They're coming into places like Humboldt County and stuff like that. Bulgarians are coming in um, doing a bunch of land grab, doing a lot of, uh, you know, purchasing the land and stuff like that and arming these situations, like doing some heavy arming, um, of growing places. And if you don't know, if you understand for weed, yes, for weed. Okay. Um, so that, that drives that market. And if you know anything about Bulgaria, Bulgaria is essentially the Mexico, Mexico, cartel land of Europe hmm. and stuff. So why are those guys coming across the globe to go there? Because it fits. It's already there in place. Um, but, so you think that you think that if federally sanctioned, you know, for, for cannabis or legal marijuana, you think that will that go away or, or will that be I reduced? It will, you're always going to have a black market no matter what. Think about it right now. It's legal to have car dealership i can get a license pay my taxes for a car dealership and stuff like that but somebody down the street's going to have one of those buy here pay here tote the note kind of places where they're going to sell you something that's got a resalvage title mm-hmm. and they're going to make it look like it's a clean title and stuff like that that that's that's what i make the comparison to the black market there's gotcha. always going to be uh, an illicit um area of this but nobody's 
it, it doesn't totally get closed off. Yeah. One thing that can happen though is we can actually derive some profits and put it in to educational systems, mm-hmm. or schools and stuff like that, because that's one thing it's hard to do right now. Um, I think the last Colorado Rocky Mountain Haida, that's high intensity drug trafficking area report for last year still shows that tax revenue within the state still accounted for only something like nine tenths of one percent. How is that with with all the weed dispensary and legalizations legalization that's out there and all the dispensaries and stuff like that? And it goes back to, well, some of these funds have a federal portion to them. Some of them have a state portion. If it is a schedule one, it's fully illegal on the federal side. Well, I can't intermingle that money. I can't put that money into that school system that's getting some federal funds. Mm. You know, I can't put that money into, say, a rehabilitation counseling to get people off of, say, heroin, cocaine, whatever the case is, um, because they're deriving some sort of federal funds. Mm-hmm. So if we get it to where we can take that structure and take it off of the schedule one, um, we can actually derive some profits and put it in the right places for educational yeah. purposes and stuff like that. Number one within the schools that, and that would be huge because those dispensers, there's a lot of money and those mm-hmm. are still cash only operations too. Which is it seems so, un- or not seems, but it, it is so unsafe, right? Just you know, all the risk and all the different robberies that have happened at a lot of those dispensaries over the years. You've got the two robberies happen. Let me tell you an undercover world. Robberies happen during two times when the money's shown and the dope is shown. There, you've got both elements together. It's no brainer, you know. And it, it is. It's a dangerous situation. And what I don't like with this hemp thing is. With the Bank Safety Act, there's still farmers out there or folks in the business, whether processors, distributors, that are still having a hard time with banking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've made that clear in the training programs that I put out for the state of North Carolina and talked about that, that it is not going to be unheard of for you to say, come into contact with a hemp farmer who may or may not have a large bulk of money on them, okay? Because they may have just come from the sale. Somebody may have just purchased their stuff. Or some of these old folks are still folks that still jam money under their mattresses. You right. know? Some of these old hats are like, I don't trust the government. I don't trust mm-hmm. the banks. You know, they stuff their money under the mattresses. So unlike, you know, and I, I paint out the difference in that. I said it's unlike the dealer sitting on the corner that's going to have various denominations of money wadded up in all four corners of their pockets and stuff like that oh yeah by the way they've got 15 or 16 individually wrapped bags you know dime bags or something of weed on them that's a dealer you know um so i paint out the fact that for some folks it's still cash is still their big thing outside of the banking because yeah. it's hard for them to get into that sure well, one of the things that stood out when we spoke last was um, because since you're in education now, talking to, to folks about, you know, here's what um, what hemp is and how it, it affects law enforcement. And uh, you started listing off who is sort of 
in or around law enforcement. And you know, you started talking about uh, judges, uh, district attorneys, people that are that come into a jury selection, community leaders, uh, educators. Uh, and this kind of surprised me: doctors, nurses, fire personnel, police, and like everybody that that is in or around basically how our law is, uh, it, how it impacts the community. And like that was mind blowing because there, there, there are so many different, let's say categories of people that need to be educated that do come in contact with, let's just say cannabis in general, right? Or like now more related uh, to hemp. And as soon as they smell it or see it, you know, red flag goes up and like, oh my God, we gotta do something about this. Um, and so w when you're talking to a lot of these folks, what's the like the one or two things that kind of makes the light bulb go off about hemp and kind of demystifying some of those biases that we've had for, you know, like a hundred years or so? Like what, what are those conversations? One is talking about who is using hemp currently. If it used to be, if you're Gen Z, and you're thinking about somebody using marijuana, you may have seen the old Cheech Chong movies or something like that, or you're thinking somebody with dreadlocks walking around wearing Birkenstocks or something like that. You know, there's somebody, I don't care who you are, you've got some stereotypical picture of this individual. Um, the light bulb goes off to them when I show them pictures of when I go out traveling out west, like Washington, Oregon, Colorado, when I'm going and teaching, and I go sit at a dispensary, a weed dispensary, and I stop, and I just want to see who goes in these locations. And the first time I stopped and sat at a dispensary, my very first day um, in Portland, Oregon, matter of fact, was I sat out there and I was like, this is just, I expected just crazy. It's going to look like college kids, frat boys and stuff like that. It's going to look like gangsters and stuff like that. It's going to look like everybody who I've always, always come into contact with weed. And the first vehicle pulls up was a nice Audi. I mean, just sharp. I mean, this, everything about this car spilled class. Dude gets out of the vehicle, got a nice suit on, well-dressed. I looked at the suit and I was like, Man, he's probably got about $800 on his back right now. He goes in, spends about five minutes in there, comes out, has a bag in his hand. And I thought, okay, maybe the next person will show me what it is, you know, what, what I think weed is. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting there watching. A van pulls up, a minivan. Grandma gets out. Grandma has one of those reusable shopping bags. You can tell it's folded up in her hand. It's empty. She goes in, spends about 10 minutes. She comes out. She's got some items in the bag now. She gets in the van, and I thought, something ain't right here. Okay, this is weed. I'm supposed to be seeing hippies come in here. I'm supposed <laughs> to be seeing rap artists come in. I'm supposed to be seeing, like, homeless people coming in. Man, the third vehicle I saw pull up was a soccer mom van. Like I could say it was a soccer mom band because she had the two soccer ball stickers with <laughs> she literally did. her number. And I thought, okay, something isn't right here. Something isn't right. It was so long to say. Mm -hmm. So to me, it kind of, it, it blew my mind. Um, I was like, well, 
maybe I need to change my own perception on this. Um, then I started researching and looking at the medicinal values of this. You know, I started going to some of these rehabilitation locations and started talking to counselors, asking them, telling them, hey, I want to talk to previous addicts or people that are currently in your programs to tell me their issues with weed. And I'm finding out that a lot of these folks were, have been using weed, you know, they used it prior, but then they got stuck into something else and everybody goes, well, marijuana is the gateway drug. And I'm like, come on, stop that dude. I smoked weed like four or five times between the age of 14 and 16. At no point in time did I sit down and go, you know what? I think I need to do a line of Coke now, <laughs> you know, no, come on, man. Um, so a lot of these people, and then especially in treatment facilities within the VA and other locations, I would start talking to these folks. And to them, it was an alternative for things like opioids. It was an alternative for things like CNS depressants. It was an alternative to things like Xanax, Alprazolam, all that kind of stuff. And I thought, okay, I, I can see this. I can see this now. Um, to me, it just, you got to catch up with the times. Um, there was a reason why this was classified as a schedule one drug back then. Was it the Nixon administration? Mm -hmm. yeah. Think about it. We had the big, the, the big anti-war thing. We had Vietnam in full spin and stuff like that. Um, and the government basically considered enemy number one to be the hippie who was opposing the war, you know, and what was most of the hippies doing? They were smoking weed and stuff like that. So that was another targeting aspect. To me, it just, it made no sense. I've still never worked an overdose where an overdose death where somebody has died on weed. Um, I have had one, one, one call that I can recall where somebody called the police because they ate an edible and started freaking out. It was the typical, they mm -hmm. ate a portion of the edible, waited 15 minutes, didn't feel nothing, ate a portion of an edible 20 minutes later, about 15 minutes later, they finished it and all of a sudden, it hit. <laughs> it was Alice in Wonderland, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so to me, I, I was like, you know, and they were just like, I need to go somewhere. I, man, I'm freaked out. I, I'm not breathing. I'm like, well, yeah, you're breathing. You're talking to me. No, no, I'm telling you, I'm not breathing. I'm like, okay, I got to sit with this dude for a few minutes while I'm waiting for that ambulance to come in and evacuate <laughs> him. And, and it was, it was just, it wasn't, it was like a jail gummy because they had the package sitting there and I kind of had to giggle about it. I was like, I wanted to actually go to the guy's house a couple of days later and say, I don't know if you remember me. Was <laughs> 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 there why you weren't breathing? You okay uh, now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's funny now, but I mean, you know, I, I, I've known people that that's happened to, and it's 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 frustrating. It's like you know, you're sort of like encapsulated by this feeling that's overwhelming and doesn't feel great. Um, but um, defense attorneys tell me about their trips out west, Colorado, and stuff like that, where they would go. As a whole, there would be four of them. They would go <laughs> and go out there for recreational. You can't harm. It's legal. It's legal there. You can't sit down and say, well, you can't do that. You're right. a defense attorney. Well, yeah, it's legal. In that state, it's the same thing as beer and cigarettes. 
But yeah. one of them told me a story about him uh, with an edible after they went out and ate a really fatty meal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Italian dinner, and within an hour and a half, no, hours period of time, he ended up ingesting an ed- a full gummy and a half. Um, and it was one of the packages that basically had four servings. <laughs> so he essentially ate six servings of edibles. Holy cow. Um, and I asked him, I was, you know, I'm not going to say his name, but I was like, well, how'd you feel, man? I said, what was the end result? And he goes, I know I made it through all three lethal weapons <laughs> on the mattress. I, I, I peed a lot, several times. <laughs> I was stuck in the mattress, on the mattress, in the hotel, but I watched all three lethal weapons before I started coming to, and I was like, <laughs> God, that's funny, dude. And then he was right back out there again. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's yeah, not, not not my cup of tea. As you know, even though I work in this industry, that just the uh, uh, for me, it's the that lack of feeling of control, right? Like I, I just don't enjoy that sensation. Probably, which is why I, I don't drink either. Uh, but you know, like I know that there are a lot, like what you talked about before, that not everybody is that's consuming marijuana is like the sort of stereotypical like you know gangster whatnot. Like you know, there are people that have uh, needs that cannabis or hemp helps, right? Yeah. Like, and, and so there's a necessity. And th- there will always be people that will do it just to get high or you know get a buzz off or whatnot. Um, so when um, when you're talking to your to your police or, or um, special forces or, or whatever uh, law enforcement uh, folks. What, um, how do you help them? Because a lot of the questions that we get from law enforcement is how do you differentiate between hemp and cannabis? Like, you know, if we pull somebody over and we spot it, like, how, how do you manage that? Like, what, what are some good tips? So when I teach this, this goes out and I teach this same program. If I'm teaching cops or a city council has asked me to come in and teach them, if I'm talking to a hemp grower or a processing facility. I teach everybody the same way across the board, district attorneys, judges, magistrates. Number one, packaging. Packaging goes a long way. If you are the consumer, don't take, say if you bought a pack of 10 hemp cigarettes, don't just take one of them out, get in your car, leave your package in the house, drive down the road, and all of a sudden have a flat tire, get pulled over because you didn't know you had a brake light out, a headlight out, get into a minor accident, have your radiator blow or something like that and have some law enforcement interaction. Because the raw, the smell of hemp in its raw and burnt forms and its flower form and its burnt forms are the same as what you previously knew to be marijuana. So one, leave it in the original packaging because that's one thing I teach about is packaging goes a long way. If somebody, say if I pulled over somebody they blew a stop sign and I'm doing traffic enforcement because there's been several accidents there. It's seven in the evening. I walk up to the car. I smell the odor of what I previously knew to be burnt marijuana. And I walk up to the car and I introduce myself and I talk to the individual. I'm like, just need to let you know, I smell an odor of burnt marijuana. You got any weed in the car? Just flat out because the odor alone is my, legal reason to actually get in and search but if somebody goes 
I was smoking a hemp cigarette and all of a sudden they reach, hand me this and it's a pack labeled Hughes Evening Delight or Carolina Hemp Company or some, you know, healthy harvesting brand, some sort of company. And it says 10 hemp cigarettes. And I'm like, hmm, that's that's a clue that that may be hemp. I'm looking at them. I don't see like dilated pupils. I don't see busted bag of Cheetos all over the place. You know, I don't see any visual signs of impairment, you know, along with that packaging. And if you look at most legitimate companies on their packaging, they're going to have that certificate of analysis or a COA or a QR scan code. That's what I'm looking for in that package, QR scan code. And this is the way I teach it to everybody. Keep that packaging because I can walk up. I may ask you, hey, can I take this package back to my car just to make sure your license is good? I'm not going to write you a ticket. I'm not the ticket police, but I do have to let you know you need to pay more attention so you don't run a stop sign. We've had three accidents in this area this week, whatever the case is, and you give me permission to take that back to my car. I go back. I scan it on my phone, and I look at that COA. That COA tells me it's the same company that's on that package. They're smoking a hemp cigarette. So we're talking about it should be a hemp flower. That is the picture on the COA for a sample. And I sit down and go, well, looks legit. I don't have to do much evaluation on the COA. I don't even have to sit down and verify, look at that COA and look at the Delta nine or the THC and try to do some mathematical equation. I just, I may take a quick look and go, okay, Delta nine, oh, 0.3%, huh? Okay, you're not going to get high with that. Uh, right there with that packaging, no visual signs of impairment, QR scan code that takes me certificate analysis tells me that I'm 99.9% sure that this is actually hemp. It's a commodity. That means it's the same thing as Doritos, a bottle of water, you know? a fork, a spoon. It is a commodity. I have, I'm a law regulator, I, you know, a law enforcer. I'm not a regulator. I'm not going to sit down and evaluate it for heavy metals and pesticides and stuff like that. What you have there is a legal product, hand it back to you, hand your license, everything back to you. Thank you for doing the responsible thing, keeping that, that helps you, that helps protect you when you're helping law enforcement do their job because Nationwide, I can tell you, if I broke down every cop in the United States, 95% of the police nationwide do not know and or understand what hemp is and the fact that it will not get you high if it is truly hemp and or hemp-derived product, whether it's CBD, CBN, CBG, whatever the case is. So that's the number one thing I teach them is packaging. Keep it with it. Two, um, if you're in the business, if you're a processor, if you're a grower, pick up the phone, call law enforcement, say, hey, I'm in this area. I want to let you know that I have, uh, if I'm a grower, here's my hemp license. I would like to teach some of your agency and some of your officers about hemp. Um, I have not seen or heard back from any grower say, well, I called the sheriff's department or the police department and they told me no to pack sand. They wanna know. They wanna know because of the fact that they're already seeing 
lawsuits nationwide where folks hadn't been able to identify this, like grandma getting arrested at Disney World, um, that they don't want to end up in a lawsuit. Because not only do they have an obligation to enforce laws, but they also have an obligation to make sure you are protected. Part of your protection is making sure they know the right thing that's out there. They know the right product. When the 2014 industrial uh, hemp pilot program came out and it came out to the uh, 2018 Farm Bill, law enforcement was still in the dark. These were federal entities that were creating this for policy-wise, but nobody came down to the individual agencies and said, here this is. We figured it out kind of like I did. Saturday phone call, strong odor of marijuana coming from these three storage units. Turns out it's hemp. Um, so I tell them, invite law enforcement in. Be friendly to them. Let them know what you have going on they want to learn they're not going to be in there snooping around getting into your business you know and going well this looks like weed smells like weed i'm going to lock you up and i'm going to seize all this and everything okay if they do i'm just telling you it's, it's going to be a nasty lawsuit okay um and for the law enforcement side they're not going to win and a lot of cops hate it when i say that but i'm i'm doing this this is for the safety of law enforcement and the general citizen itself. Yeah, I mean, we've had we have a the police department pretty close to us, and uh, they a few of them have come by, and we've given them a tour, and like we we love doing that. It 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 still uh, you know it seems a little strange to have a police officer in our facility. Um, you know, like that's that's changing. But what we were talking about earlier, like there's a little bit of that history in my mind. It's like anything that looks like cannabis and the police, right? Like they're they're opposed you know, to each other. But, um, a lot of these, all of these officers have come in, they're very curious, they're inquisitive. They want to understand how it's made you know, what we do with it and how, how do people consume it? Uh, what you were talking about earlier, how do you differentiate it from, you know, let's say something that actually contains THC, uh, new intoxicating levels. And, uh, it's been nothing but great to have these folks coming through and it creates a dialogue. Um, and, you know, we've had, um, one break in, into our office, uh, a couple of years ago and the, the, some of the police officers, they came in and they're like, oh, it's so stupid. They try to go in there cause there's nothing to get high off of. So like they knew right away, right? Like there was no, they weren't tearing stuff apart, like trying to figure out where the weed was, like they were educated and they understood how to proceed. So you have, you have effectively done a piece of this education yourself and that goes a long way. Did you turn down any officers if they wanted to come and look? Did you say, ah, I, don't, I don't want you around? Well, right. I don't want you in my business. Exactly. No, of course not. And, and it's good to know, too, like if you do have a break in, you want officers to know what is in there because there is some extraction equipment that you will have in some of these processing facilities that are indicative of what you would see in Klein Lab, mm -hmm. like a meth lab. So it can confuse them. It can confuse them too, especially when they start seeing something outside of the, the bud or the flower and start seeing distillate, crude, distillate, isolate. That's going to blow their mind. Mm -hmm. So you, an isolate, what is isolate? White crystalline powder. What does it look like? Well, it looks like cocaine. It looks like China white heroin. It looks like some uh, really fine crushed really good meth 
So <clears throat> you could see where if officers came to your business at two o'clock in the morning, say you left and an employee didn't shut the door all the way, you set the alarm, the contacts on the alarm were close enough to set the alarm, but the wind blows a little bit and the door goes, opens up this much. Now they respond to a location, looks like weed, smells like weed. Say they've never talked to Jason. Say they've never talked, been to Spectrum Lab. Say they don't understand what that place is. They've got a strong odor of marijuana. That's what they previously knew and were trained to be marijuana. They've got an open door. They can't get an alarm responder there. Say they're trying to reach you or some of the employees. Um, so they've got to go in and clear it. So now they're inside. They see shake all around because you're going to have some sort of shake. You're going to see, you know, stuff that's in the process, while in process of being extracted of hemp. You're going to see crude distal isolate. You're going to see hundreds, if it's a processing facility, up to thousands of pounds of what they previously had been trained to be marijuana, but it's actually hemp. You see where this could run into a situation? Absolutely. So educating them is huge. Bring folks in. And cops are curious by this too, because there are a lot of officers out there using this as alternatives to they have been caught or they're close to getting to the point where they've got to take pain pills due to pain, getting in and out of the car wearing 38 plus pounds of gear daily, fighting, chasing people and stuff like that. Car crashes, all kinds of stuff. They're looking at a safe alternative to ease the pain. You know, my mind, CBD is the safe alternative. Some of them are in a PTSD phase or darn near PTSD. And a lot of people sit down and there, there is a lot of argument where and right now nationwide, everybody, gas prices are up. Did you know it's the police fault? <laughs> the president's not talking. Did you know it's the police's fault? <laughs> everybody hates the police right now. Okay. So when you talk about PTSD issues and stuff like that, a lot of people are like, well, I don't care about that. I don't let them have it. You know, if they got PTSD, so what? Let me tell you, I've done CPR on a six-month-old baby before. I've done CPR on a 65-year-old woman before, okay? Those are things I can't get out of my mind. The baby, the mother came home drunk, decided to get the baby out of the crib and lay the baby on the couch with her. The mother rolled over drunk, passed out in a drunk stupor, and suffocated her child. I don't get to get that away. You know, these are things I've seen. I was on the first wave of folks that went into Afghanistan, like September 11th, 2001 hit. September 21st, we landed in Uzbekistan, Russia. September 23rd, I was in Afghanistan. I was flying folks back, CIA guys, Delta guys, SF guys. I have a plaque that I was part of the group. I'm not an SF guy, but I was their air, air asset with Task Force 160 at the Night Stalker, Special Operations Aviation Regiment. But I do have a plaque where I was awarded as one of the horse soldiers. If you've ever seen the movie um, 12 Strong, it's about ODA Team 595 and the big takeover from Mazar Sharif in Afghanistan. Um, I was part of the group. So I've seen a lot of carnage and chaos. So how do I get that out of my head when at nights when my tinnitus 
because I suffer from that. How do, how do I get those thoughts that are constantly spinning out of my head? And sometimes I'm telling you, I am a hemp user. I will smoke hemp and stuff, and it does relax me. I don't get high from it. Um, you can't get high from it just from the percentage alone. So to me, it's an alternative where the VA is trying to say, hey, let's try to give you some um, Xanax. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. I've got an addictive personality, okay? I'm, <clears throat> I'm a big boy. I love food. I'm addicted to food, okay? Let me just lay that out to you. Um, I'll tear up a bag of Doritos like that. <laughs> but <laughs> the, to me, though, it's a safe alternative. And it's a safe alternative for even um, like kids. My daughter just turned 15, okay? She is stuck in this cycle with this whole social anxiety. The whole world shut down with the pandemic, thinking everything's going to end, what's going on at school and stuff like that, uh, you know, um, what she sees on the internet, how much I can try to monitor that because she lives in a different household she lives there with my ex-wife in Nashville um but to me before a doctor would give her anything um I've already sent up and my ex is giving her CBD as an alternative to the prescription medications that prescription trail that rabbit hole that is feeding our nation's addiction right now to me it's a safe alternative um so I am a believer in it. Um, there are a lot of cops that use it and they know they run the risk. Um, yes. And a lot of current military folks that are using it um, as an alternative. And they do understand that they do run the risk of coming up hot on a year analysis for it. Um, that's another thing we have to get worked out is we have to get a year analysis test that's going to do some sort of differentiation on this, you know, whether it's how it's measured out in, down to the nanograms, whatever it is, mm -hmm. uh, we've got to have something out there because from an employment aspect, you could still get yourself fired from it. Yeah. Um, so open dialogues with your chain of command. If you're an officer and using this, let your folks know. Um, don't be scared to let them know. Um, if they are, if you think if I tell Sarge or Lieutenant that they're going to, suspend me or something like that, him call me. I'll come to your agency and I'll educate it. On the flip side, you could be an employee working at a bank and stuff. You're subject to random urinalysis. You know, you could be working for somewhere at DOT. You could have a job in a school as a janitor or something like that. You know, folks need educated that this is an alternative, but they do run a risk of, yes, that they could potentially come up hot even if they're using a broad spectrum, which they used to phrase as T-free, which you can't use that phrase because the THC is still somewhere. Yeah. You know, what, four or five places to the right of the decimal and stuff. So, um, but everybody's body is different. Um, but that's, that's huge. And if your child is using it, <clears throat> I call this another void and pitfall or a void that needs to be filled and that filler needs to be education. Um, so if my daughter's using it, she doesn't take it to school. Okay. She uses it in the morning. But say if she did take it to school, 
and she does have some serious anxiety and it's to where she needs to actually vape um smoke and if she would if it was smoking it would be through a vape if she's vaping hemp and she has to use it two to three times to get through the day does the school resource officer and the school system know what hemp is hmm. no they they don't this is where the education is the key so we have to educate these folks that i'm sending this with my child my child may have to use this, you know, they may have to be excused to step outside or something like that, whatever the case is, to help out, ask your doctor, talk to your doctor and ask them to send a note about it, you know, um, because a lot of school systems say, well, it's tobacco, you can't have any tobacco products on campus. Is hemp tobacco? Doesn't fit in that realm of the law. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't have controlled substances on there. Is hemp controlled substances? under the controlled substance is it now a controlled substance doesn't fit that end of the law so you see where the two worlds go like this yeah so there's a lot of work to do out there to help and educate people um and i started my trail and path here when i came to north carolina um north carolina i I can tout this from what i know of what i'm figured out we are the first in the United States to have an in-service lesson plan that is mandatory for officers in the state to take as part of their yearly certification. To me, that's powerful. That says we're doing the right thing. First time I got hooked up with some farmers was I was teaching a basic narcotics course. I work out in Andyville called some farmers, answered the phone, said, yes, you can bring the officers out here. Um, they were about, eh, I want to say about a month away from harvest. So you had a good crop, six acres out there. So there was a good selection. Pick up the phone, healthy harvesting guys go, yeah, come on out, look at us, you know, talk to us. They, my officers, they didn't talk to me. They were on the farmers the whole time. Farmers were just doing this taking them all over the place, talking, walking, people walking away with samples. They was letting them take some of the plant and stuff like that. So they could take that back and take that to their agencies Hmm. to educate people. Do you see where that trickle effect just happened? And then those farmers came to me and said, you know what? You could actually be a good voice for this industry and help us. And that's where the hemp cops perspective took off. And it's just a training platform. And I'm training more than cops. I'm training, like you said, your prospective jurors, your citizens, your city council people, your school boards. Maybe you're running a big business and you're doing annual in-service training and you want to train some of your employees because you've seen some of this in your businesses and you want and need to get educated on it so you can maybe develop a policy or something or an SOP on it. You know, I'm getting calls from people that run elderly facilities and they're they're charged with the care for them and they run elderly care facilities. Like in one case, guy was outside vaping hemp and it was hemp. I get a call from the owner. They're telling me this guy is using marijuana on our place, but he's telling us it's hemp. I said, well, text me a picture of the vial. They sent me a 
picture of the package that he had taken the hemp cartridge out and put it in his vape pen. I looked at it and was like, yeah, that's reputable. I said, hell, I'll even come out and even talk to you a little bit more on it. Um, and it turned out it was him. They went through and they sent him for a year analysis. He come up negative. You know, I thought he'd come up hot because I mean, he was, when I talked to him, he goes, yeah, I use it like four to five times a day. I thought, well, he's definitely going to come up hot on your analysis, but he didn't, you know, but that education, that employer didn't get fired. They didn't lose contracts. And now it's turned into training for a lot of these elder care facilities. Yeah. So, that's that that's goes, a big deal. That goes a long way. And I love talking to process. I love it when a processor or farmer says, Hey, can you come in? We have like a co-op. There's 20 of us within these three counties that grow. Can you come in and talk to us and tell us um, how to do business safely? You know, how to educate law enforcement. I, I'm not going to tell you how to grow, but I'm going to tell you how to do a good compliance walk and be open and transparent and stuff like that. Because um, it goes a long way. If I've built that relationship with law enforcement and say it's time for harvest, if I pick up the phone and call the sheriff's department, police department, whatever it is, and say, I'm about to harvest, here's the location, you guys have been here, you may be able to already be on a first name basis with the command element. That command element may do the right thing and while you're harvesting, send a marked car out there. They may not even have to have anybody in the marked car, but put that marked car near where you're harvesting. Because I'm telling you for theft purposes, because one thing that is proven, gangsters are out there robbing the fire out of these farms and farmers hmm. predominantly from like the middle of the state to the East coast. Um, because why they're going out ripping off 50, 60 plants. Cause what are they going to do with it? They're going to turn around and sell it. Like it's weed and stuff like this. Hmm. And every time these episodes, these thefts are being reported and a dope deal goes bad and the detectives can track that, okay, this guy got shot because he sold two pounds of hemp to this person. And they can also figure out that this guy who just got shot who sold two pounds of hemp as weed was also two counties away at the same time that those 60 plants were stolen. You can already see where this goes a long way. So it helps for them to protect you and your crop to occasionally do some what I call preventative medicine, put a patrol car out there, have somebody spend a little bit of time out there mm -hmm. and stuff like that. It reduces your chances and your level of theft. Plus if you're transporting it and it's going from your farm to this processing facility, that's good information to call them and say, Hey, I'm leaving my farm. Here's the three trucks that I'm doing. Here's the license plates that are on those trucks. Here's what they look like. Bob, Billy and Terry are driving it. And it's going to say, Spectrum. It's going to Spectrum to be processed. Well, you just notified law enforcement. They can tell their officers during roll call, hey, you're going to see probably 15 trucks. Each truck has about 1,500 pounds of hemp in it. You know, here's the license plate on the trucks and stuff like that. If you come into contact with it, it is not weed. <laughs> that's God. very proactive. Yeah. That, how, that's how, much very smart. That cost? how much did that cost? Yeah. That's 
to me, that's doing the right thing. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, Bill, I think that's a good place to start wrapping up. So, um, I just want to say thank you for, for what you, you do now, you know, educating so many different people, uh, and certainly what you've done, you know, as a service member. Um, so you continue to, to be of service to people. And I think that's a great thing because there's certainly a, a big bridge to build between sort of our history as a country with let's just call it cannabis and, you know, the current state of hemp and how it can be helpful to folks and, and just, you know, understanding really what it is, what to look out for if you're uh, in law enforcement. So keep doing that. Don't, don't stop. Even though you, you have a new baby and you're probably not getting any, <laughs> any sleep whatsoever. Um, yeah. But don't think about yourself, right? Think about yeah. the people. I, you're I appreciate you letting me because this, this is a great platform. You know, I'm just one voice, but once I hit your platform, you know, I'm hoping hundreds to thousands of listeners pick up, spend a few minutes on it. If everybody takes one thing away, that's one less potential inadvertent seizure. That's one potential inadvertent lawsuit. That's another relationship that has potentially been built from a grower, farmer, processor, distributor, whatever it is. Um, for us all to do a good solid walk together. Yeah, absolutely. So Bill, if someone wants to uh, get a hold of you or reach out to you or learn more about your program, where should they go? You can go to Hemp Cops. It's www.hempcops.com. It's H-E-M-P-C-O-P-S.com. Or you can grab me off of the Healthy Harvesting website also, a group of farmers that I work with there. And you can find the link there. And again, I teach more than just law enforcement. I will come in and talk to you as far as business, um, how to make your either your store or your processing facility not look like a weed shop. Okay. How to do things the right way, because we've already seen just by this conversation, there are stereotypes already built in on, on both sides, whether you're the user, the grower, in the business, the distributor and stuff like that. Um, this is new day and age. Um, this is the right thing, but we can do this the right way, the safe way, and minimize the interruptions out there. Great. Awesome. Well, we'll put all those links in the show notes and uh, looking forward to having a uh, part two sometime in the near future. Thank you. Thank you for having me, my friend. Hey guys, and before you go, this is Jason from Spectrum Labs. Please be sure to visit us on the web at thespectrumlabs.com for any show notes and links discussed in the podcast. Also, remember to click the subscribe button wherever you may be listening from so you get notified when our next episode comes out. And tune in next show and have a fantastic day.